0: The story of Pentecost is very simple, you can sum up the whole thing in about a sentence. But once you understand the simple truth of the story and what it means for our lives, it starts to become extremely complicated. So let's warm up and do the simple part first. After his resurrection, Jesus promises the disciples that they are going to receive a new kind of power. Jesus never tells them what the power is, but he says, you're going to receive some kind of new power that's going to change your life. So you can imagine the disciples coming up with all the different kinds of power it could be. Maybe it's the power to perform miracles, to walk on water like Jesus did. Maybe it's political power. Jesus is going to restore the kingdom to Israel and make the disciples reign supreme. But the disciples end up getting a very different kind of power. St. Luke says that when the day of Pentecost had come, all of the disciples were filled with other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So suddenly this group of disciples has become connected to the greater world. They're able to talk to and communicate with Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. I'll spare you the whole list but there is no one that they are not connected to and responsible for. So keep it simple. Pentecost is the day when we celebrate how the Holy Spirit empowers us to make new connections. This sounds nice and pleasant and straightforward, but being a Pentecost church raises a whole bunch of questions for us. To start with, what is the power that the disciples actually receive? Its language? Its words? These new connections are forged not by a piece of paper, or a creed, or a family tree, but by language. An ability to step into someone else's world, to step into their sphere of existence, and communicate with them on their terms. When the crowd hears the disciples speaking, they don't just say it's their native language. The Greek is much more evocative than that. They ask, how is it that we hear in the language of the household in which we were born? When the disciples speak, the people in the crowd feel like they've gone back home. We often forget the power that words have. How often do we hear something, an idea, a criticism, a claim, a proposal, and say, it's just a bunch of words, or it's all talk. And yet we know the immense power that words can have. The first words a child speaks, the exchange of vows at a wedding, the eulogies at a funeral, the words of forgiveness from a friend. It's all just words, of course, and yet we know it's more than that. The way that we experience the world, the ways that we create our sense of self, is all mediated by language. The authors and editors who put the scriptures together knew that. In the first Genesis creation story, how does God create everything that is? By speaking. Let there be light. In Luke's Gospel, how does Jesus announce that the kingdom of God is here? By teaching. Blessed are the poor. In Luke's Gospel of the Easter story, which we heard this year, how is the Easter event made known? By announcement. The women remembered Jesus' words, and returning from the tomb, they told the story to the eleven and all the rest. And do you remember what the eleven and the rest say in return? It's an idle tale. Or as we would say, it's just a bunch of words. So when the Holy Spirit gives the disciples this ability to speak, it allows them to communicate with people they couldn't before. There's no one in all of creation that they can't communicate with. There's no area of the world where Jesus says, don't worry about this, or this isn't your responsibility. They're now connected with everyone. Those new connections can raise really complicated questions about obligations, allegiances, and how we define our communities in the first place. In 2004, a woman named Betty Rendon was working as a principal at a school in Colombia. She started receiving death threats from local gangs. So she moved to Chicago and filed her paperwork to apply for asylum, did the whole process by the book. Five years later, her application was denied because there was no record of the death threats at the police office back in Columbia. And instead of returning to what seemed like certain death, she and her husband decided to stay in Chicago and try to start a new life. Their daughter, who was a teenager at the time, was able to get DACA protection. And because Rendon didn't pose a threat to public safety, the deportation order was never enforced. A few years ago, Rendon started taking classes at the Lutheran Seminary in Chicago. And one day, Emmaus Lutheran Church in Racine, Wisconsin called up and said they needed a pastor who could speak Spanish. So Betty started driving two hours each way to work as a synod-authorized student pastor, doing all those ordinary church things visiting the sick, teaching confirmation, hosting quinceaneras. Until there was a knock at the door one morning last month, and Pastor Betty, still in her pajamas, was put in handcuffs. And about a week later, Betty and her husband Carlos were deported to Colombia. At Synod Assembly last year, we had a debate over a resolution encouraging congregations to accompany people through the immigration system, And during the debate, a man got up and walked across the hotel ballroom to go to a microphone, and he said the things that people always say when we have discussions about issues that don't directly involve them, which is we spend too much time on divisive social issues like immigration. We need to get back to the basics of preaching the gospel. Remember, one Sunday last month, people woke up to go to Emmaus Lutheran Church in Racine, Wisconsin, to do those basic things. To hear the gospel preached, to go to confirmation class, to receive the sacraments, to put in a prayer request, to schedule a baptism, to go to premarital counseling, to gossip at coffee hour, to volunteer with Sunday school. And found out that no one had any idea where the pastor was. Being a Pentecost church means that we have to remember what that man at Synod Assembly forgot. He forgot that language matters. That when you talk about the church using language like our church and what we do, that we includes people like Betty Rendon. It includes congregations like Emmaus. So what seems to you like a distracting social issue may actually be a matter of life and death for someone else. Does that mean that we should stop enforcing our immigration laws? No, that's not the point I'm trying to make. But it does mean that when we talk about morally complicated issues, especially issues of migration and the integrity of families, we have to remember we're not talking about some other group of people we have no connection with. Does the fact that Betty Rendon was pastoring a congregation of the ELCA mean she's more deserving of our sympathy? I don't think it does. But it should remind us that if we think that our immigration system doesn't affect us, then our definition of us is not big enough. That's why the language we use to describe the world matters. When we hear a language about a refugee crisis, we should remember the crisis is not the refugees themselves, but the wars and famines that caused them to leave their homes in the first place. When we hear a language about hordes of immigrants infesting, here it is again, our country, We should remember that all of those people are made in the image of God. Many of them are members of the body of Christ, and some of them are members of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Those connections shouldn't make us lax, but they should make us compassionate. They shouldn't make us permissive, but they should make us understanding. That if we are distraught that people like Pastor Betty live in this country without the proper documents, How much more upset should we be by the anger by the violence that pushes them out of their homes in the first place we have to remember that the connections that god makes with us through the holy spirit are not the same connections that we would make for ourselves they're not the same connections that our country or our families or our political parties where the media tell us are important nobody showed up on that pentecost morning and thought, I really hope the power is the ability to talk to Parthians in Medes. Nobody asked for God to make new connections with residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, but that's what God does. Those are the connections that God makes. It turns out they are actually us and we are actually them because we've been united in the risen body of Christ. Our language, our prayers and proclamation Our praises and protests are a reflection of those connections. Does that kind of Pentecost speech go over well? No, it goes over very badly. People say the disciples are drunk. They've lost it. And they say that about us, too. Not that we're drunk, but that we're not playing by the rules that they've built. We had someone at Wyckoff Day just last week who gave some of our folks a hard time. I had someone earlier this year who wrote me a letter about how I was going to hell in no uncertain terms. I don't believe in hell, so joke's on you, but… The only reason that you would talk that way is if you were filled with new wine, they say. You're being too inclusive, too understanding, too embracing, too empathetic. But what do the travelers who hear that language say? How is it that we hear in the language of the house in which we were born? Why do we feel like we're back home? Before we're joined to a country, a culture, a family, or anything else that gives us a sense of identity, we are born into the household of God. And what a household it is, full of Parthians, Medes, and residents of Mesopotamia, Nelsons and Randones, asylum seekers and native-born. Emmaus and Advent. That is who we join with every time we come together at Christ's table. So come, take and eat. Welcome home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite the assembly to stand as we join the church around the world confessing our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no one. Even the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, but the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken